Welcome to Fringe with Benefits. Stacy, your favorite podcaster here, highly annoyed woman, bringing you episode 64, ready to rant and spit fire over the insanity of the majority of the population. Sick and tired of everyone's apathy, compliance, willful ignorance, and the mass formation psychosis we see around us. If you're listening to this podcast, you're already hip to what's going on. If not, you're about to get schooled and you are coming here so I can come to you to scramble your brain on all things anomalous, peculiar, weird, and abnormal. Dun dun dun! Stacy's socials got all kinds of fucked up stories for you guys this week. First, a 19-year-old was admitted to the hospital. This was a while ago, but in the... um, scholarly article on the research they did about this incident just came out. So it's this 19 year old went to the hospital because he had food poisoning, right? But he ended up getting both legs and all of his fingers amputated. Why? Well, he had eaten leftover rice, chicken, and lo mein that had been sitting out. Him and a friend both ate it and they both were very sick afterwards. Well, the friend recovered but the, the main kid continued to vomit, had, had stomach pain, um, had worsening muscle pain, weakness, and chills. And then his symptoms escalated to include chest pain, shortness of breath, headache, neck stiffness, blurry vision, and skin discoloration. He went to the hospital 20 hours after his initial bout of puking. And then he had a fever of 105, high heart rate. His skin discoloration quickly transformed into a splotchy purplish rash that covered almost his entire body. The tissue in his extremities began to die. Doctors had to amputate both legs below the knee as well as parts of all 10 fingers. They placed a temporary pacemaker to treat his heart dysfunction. The doctors officially diagnosed him with meningococcal purpura fulminan disease a rare complication of septic shock. The patient had a stick neck, sti- <laughs> stiff neck, and it was a hallmark of meningitis, right? Swelling of the brain caused by infection. Doctor learned later that the teen had not received a booster after getting the first dose of the meningococcal vaccine. A hospitalized student was overall healthy before his admission. He had a history of anxiety and depression as well as some drug use. Well, shit, if he wasn't, he was depressed before, he's really going to be fucking depressed after this. A huge bummer. Um, he had some, you know, history of drug use, a little bit of partying. So I guess experts have warned that rice contains spores of Bacillus cirrus, a bacteria that can survive being cooked and thrives at room temperature. If left out too long, the bacteria will multiply and release toxins that can cause vomiting and diarrhea. Do not leave food out. If you do, throw it the fuck away. Like, I don't like to waste food or anything, but this is one of the things that really gets me because what I learned in microbiology and how fast bacterium can reproduce at room temperature and food is just absolutely disgusting. Next is this really weird article by Science Alert. It's titled, Some Children Die Without Explanation. Genetics is finally giving us some answers. So why do I think this is weird? Well, it's just, it's all around weird because it's talking about kids dying. Kids just typically don't die for no reason. Let's explore this. Each year in the U.S., hundreds of kids die for undetermined reasons, usually in their sleep or while resting. 
Due to the way deaths are investigated and certified, it's hard to say how often this occurs. Some estimates, several hundred children aged between 1 and 18 die suddenly from unexplained causes. When the child is younger than 12 months, it's known as SIDS, Sudden Infant Death Syndrome. According to the CDC, 1,250 such deaths qualified in 2019, roughly three times the number of sudden unexplained deaths in children. That's SUDC. SIDS causes three times as many deaths as SUDC, yet receives 20 times the amount of research funding. Laura Gold had been working for decades to change that. After losing her 15-month-old in 1997, she co-founded the SUDC Registry and Research Collaborative, that's SUDCRRC, with a neurologist from New York University. Using this database to compare 124 molecular autopsy results with genetic data from the parents, researchers have now revealed a potential cause. In nearly a dozen cases, researchers identified eight gene eight gene variants linked to epilepsy, heart arrhythmias, and neurodevelopmental disorders. Six of the gene variants are known to be involved in calcium signaling, which allows the heart muscle to contract and neurons to fire off messages. In most cases, the parents of the deceased children did not show the same mutations, which means they were not passed down but randomly derived. The chance of a parent having two children with the same deadly variant is unlikely. The study looks specifically for 137 genetic variants that are linked to cardiac and epilepsy issues. This seems to be what causes most cases of SUDC. Um, compared to the general population, these variants were 10 times more likely to show up among these cases. But there are likely other explanations out there. The genetic variants identified in the current study were only found in 9% of the cohort. More work will need to be done to figure out what the causes the majority of these cases. A second study conducted by the same team of researchers dug into the data further, and this time they were looking for 294 potentially deadly genetic variances in 352 SUDC cases. Hmm. Next is kind of an informational um, article. A warning on the danger of lead. Eagles have been getting lead poisoning due to bullets from hunting. This is a common thing during hunting season where hunters shoot elk or deer, then the eagles scavenge waste. That scavenged waste may have, have, may have some consequences for eagles. In the journal Science, they published a study detecting high rates of lead poisoning among the two most common types of eagles, bald eagles and golden eagles. The study went on from 2010 to 2018 these eagles are ingesting lead, fra lead fragments from bullets in animal carcasses left behind by hunters. Every single time a lead bullet hits a deer, it fragments into many, many pieces, said Todd Katzner, a research wildlife biology at the USGS and co-author of this study. He said that it only takes a tiny fragment, something the size ahead of a pin, to kill an eagle. Researchers examined the blood, bone, liver, and feathers of more than 1,200 eagles across 38 U.S. states. Of that sample, 47% of bald eagles and 46% of golden eagles had signs of chronic lead poisoning. Birds with chronic or repeated exposure to lead can develop lesions, weakness while flying, or convulsions and paralysis. Much of the exposure comes from human activities, including the use of fossil fuels and past use of leaded gasoline. Some types um, of industrial facilities and past use of lead paint in homes 
They have lead compounds have been used in a wide variety of products found in and around our homes, including paint, ceramics, pipes, and plumbing materials, solders, gasoline, batteries, ammunition, and cosmetics. Lead may enter the environment from these past and current uses and can be emitted into the environment from industrial sources and contaminated sites, such as former lead smelters, um, tailing pilings. Natural levels of lead in the soil range between 50 and 400 parts per million. That when lead is released into the air from industrial sources or spark ignition engine aircraft, it may travel long distances before settling to the ground, where it sticks to soil particles. Federal and state regulatory standards have helped reduce the amount of lead in the air, drinking water, soil, consumer products, food, and occupational settings. So, yes, they have done a lot, okay? Let's continue on with the article about the eagles. So scientists have known about lead exposure in eagles for a very long time. Sometimes they end up in rehab facilities, they're sick, they get x-rayed, you see fragments of lead in their digestive tract. But until recently, researchers hadn't been able to quantify how dangerous or widespread it was among eagles. Up to 33% of bald eagles and up to 35% of golden eagles show signs of acute lead poisoning. So lots of hunters willingly will switch from lead to non-lead bullets once they find out they're potentially poisoning animals. So I think that this is something that we can be super conscientious of if we can. If we're out there hunting and we leave the waste around, just be mindful of the raptors or the animals that are going to come and eat that. And what animals eat the animals that eat the leftovers, you know? I think it's just it's an important thing to discuss. Lead poisoning is no joke. Okay, next, this is really going to fucking turn your stomach, so I'm sorry in advance. Cynthia Perkins, 36, admitted to a slew of disturbing sex crimes, including child pornography, second-degree rape, and mingling of harmful substances. When she, and then she took a plea deal. Recently, the teacher and her ex-husband, Dennis Perkins, were arrested in 2019 on more than 150 sex crime-related charges including abusing a child together. She was hit with the harmful substance charge after she put his Dennis's sperm into cupcakes she gave to students at a junior high school. Under this plea deal, Cynthia had 68 other charges against her dismissed and will have to testify against Dennis at his upcoming trial. Louisiana Attorney General Jeff Landry said she not only waived any right to appeal and attempt to avoid conviction, but she also spared the victims from reliving her horrific crimes during this particular trial. She will be sentenced to 41 years in prison. She filed for divorce from her husband in the wake of their arrests and alleged that Dennis had manipulated her into committing the crimes. The couple were busted after authorities received a tip at the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Investigators later found nude photos of them with this minor, she resigned. She was a teacher at Westside Junior High School. She resigned, of course, and Dennis was fired from his deputy role at the Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office. He's scheduled to face trial in May on 150 criminal charges. This is the most disgusting fucking thing I've ever heard in my life. Well, I mean, it's borderline upon some really other really disgusting things, but the fact that a teacher and a deputy... You're supposed to be pillars of the community, right? People that work with our kids, people that are there to protect, to serve, to educate, are fucking molesting kids. Those are sex crimes to have child pornography. And 
and literally putting semen in food and serving it to students. These people, they ought to be strung up. That's my opinion. Next is a DoorDash driver. This is like a really just kind of pretty disgusting report myself in, um, in addition to what we just heard. DoorDash delivery driver is being praised on TikTok for rushing to deliver an order for Plan B. This, you know, if you know what Plan B is, it's basically a pill that needs to be taken within 72 hours in order for you to, whatever, you know, terminate a pregnancy that could possibly be in there. So if you take Plan B but within 24 hours, it's 95% effective, but if you take it between 48 and 72 hours, it is 61% effective. So this guy's like, I literally sped this deliver, sped to deliver this order. So he admits to breaking the law to deliver an order. Like, why can't this bitch go get her own fucking plan B? You're, you know, I don't know. And then the fact that these people are just praising this guy, check this out. His tweet blew up in January. He used the moment of virality to champion causes close to his heart. He posted links of two GoFundMe campaigns for gender-confirming surgeries and also asked people to donate to Queer Meals, an organization which delivers meals and groceries to people in need. Users in the comments of the section of Brennan's viral TikTok are now praising him, saying, A real one. Not all heroes wear capes. What a true American hero. Not all heroes wear capes. Some drive cars. Some users are also sharing their own stories of delivery drivers helping them out. I've had this door dashed a few times, one user said. How about, how about you just abstain? A few times, right? I ordered a pregnancy test once and the guy brought me two Diet Cokes as well. A real, real hero out there. I ordered pregnancy tests once and the Instacart driver sent a good luck message. You can buy an emergency contraception pill contraception pills like plan b next choice one dose take action of course you know they're just pimping these um medications out there and uh so and tells you how much it costs it's only about 40 or 50 bucks when purchased without a prescription oh and then tiktok commenters were surprised by the high price 50 dollars. i'm glad i'm gay one user said well honestly i had no idea plan b was that much really that's pretty cost effective compared to insulin right and that's a life-saving medication. So it's just really absolutely just gross, you know, the, the way that these people are just praising this and this becomes national news. So, and then, of course, they got to plug Planned Parenthood. If you need it, if you need an insta-pill abortion, here you go. Call Planned Parenthood. Bletch. Okay. Next is, okay, this is one thing that really kind of, like, totally fascinates me is technologies to improve the human body people with these eye implants are risking going blind when these devices expire right second sight medical products which is a biotech company that's now on the verge of bankruptcy received fda approval in 2013 for a cutting edge implant that did not restore normal vision but something close to it This device, the Argus II retinal implant, was discontinued in 2019 in favor of newer technology. Now hundreds of people who still have the old implant have been left in the lurch. No software upgrades as promised, no repairs if something goes wrong. That means that some have lost their sight altogether and many more risk the same. The Argus II works to provide some vision. It's not perfect. 
the device pairs with special glasses and a clip-on transmitter that turns video into pulses of light. For some, those pulses helped illuminate crosswalks, basic shapes, etc. Campbell got the implant as a part of a clinical trial in 2009, and she said it helped her navigate busy streets and subways of New York for four years before it stopped working and everything went dark again. For others, the device took some getting used, used to. Linda Kirk said that the flashes of light were more distracting than helpful, and she stopped using the device after a couple of years. Kirk and Campbell may not be able to use their implants along with the designated glasses, but the technology remains inside their eyes. What's more, the implant could pose a risk during procedures like MRI scans, and options to remove it are expensive, painful, or both. There's a new implant called Orion that uses similar eyeglasses and a video camera, and it stimulates the brain directly rather than working through an affected eye. The device is currently in a six-patient clinical trial funded by $6.4 million grant from the U.S. National Institute of Health, where have we heard that NIH before. It's scheduled to be released over the next five years. However, some Orion trial participants told Spectrum they plan to have implants removed at the end of the study, given the company's uncertain future. Benjamin Spencer, an Orion participant who got his neural implant in 2018, said, Had I known three years ago what I know now, I probably wouldn't have signed up for it. I'm pretty, I'm pretty much thinking that a lot of patients for a lot of treatments and therapies probably feel the same way. Wouldn't you? Accountability segment. So I've been in a shit mood all week. It ain't just my hormones either. It's everyone's gullibility that has me up in arms. Thoughts and prayers bullshit has me fired up. Sipping on your white chocolate mocha, praying for the poor citizens of Ukraine. Swallowing up the emotional appeal that's being fed by MSM. My kids are even scared. When the news has my kids scared, I get angry. I just can't stand it. Um, I felt this way of summer 2020. And this is the whole reason why I started this podcast to begin with. So all I have to say is just don't allow fear to rule you. Observe it, mold it, and move forward with courage, open-mindedness, and a willingness to question everything you're told. Once again, our society is divided. Another thing to put, pit us against each other. I find out that when I feel this way, I feel very isolated. But I am very grateful for all, for all of you. My partner is super smart, and luckily for me, he's highly intelligent and not easily manipulated. Yet everyone else I love is convinced that we should be fearing for our lives. If we should be fearing anything, it should be the loss of our freedoms, and this is where we need to strike back with force. I think the podcast is going very well. It's growing. Our collective consciousness is expanding. We are evolving as a species. We cannot allow the stupid people to outbreed us. I know most intelligent people don't want to bring children into this fucked up world, but maybe it's a selfish pursuit to have a family, but I think the opposite is probably true. If our species is going to have a beautiful existence like we are meant to have, then we must be willing to be fruitful. This stance has been something I've flipped and flopped on, and now in my older years, I am grateful that I had my kids. Could I afford them? No. Did I have a hard time? Yes. Am I regretful? Hell no. Am I grateful? Hell yes. Accountability is a virtue. Our individuality contributes to the whole. And what we work on with ourselves helps not just one unit, ourselves, but it, it helps the whole of humanity. So we are a whole organism together. We are one. 
the rando knot adventure that's still continuing it's just it's been a, a real week follow all my social medias fringe with benefits on fake book there's also inward survival and stacy leosorio i'm on twitter i'm on a bunch of different things you know where to find me you know what my handle name is rumble and bit shoot golden valkyrie youtube golden valkyrification Please go visit Inward Survival's webpage, sign the mailing list. It is a 501c3 charity. Feel free to donate. And the Patreon is linked below. Go subscribe to the Fringe with Benefits Telegram channel, also linked below. This is an invite-only group, and the only way you can get in is this link that you're going to find in the show notes. Wherever you listen, please subscribe and give ratings or reviews. It helps a small show like me get noticed and share the show. There are people out there that want to hear this. So text it to them, share it to their social media page, whatever, and go visit the Fringe with Benefits Anchor homepage linked below and click the support the show button. There are ways to support Fringe with Benefits. So since I don't do this for money, money equals more freedom. And you know, I can create more content if you support the show. I'm looking for stories. Send me your mail at fringewithbenefits at protonmail.com. Fringewithbenefits at protonmail.com. I want your supernatural stories, your ghost stories, your stories about a bad ex-boyfriend, girlfriend. Uh, Somebody steal your car. Somebody beat your ass. You beat someone's ass. I mean, I want to hear all about it. Do you see a UFO? Do you see Bigfoot? Whatever it is. Are you a victim of gang stalking? Shoot me an email. If you'd like to be on the show, shoot me an email and tell me all about it. Um, This week, I did end up getting an email from our favorite listener, Julia. She sent me a forwarded email from Emerald Robinson about, guess what? The conspiracy theory is true. New reporting confirms the bioweapon and mRNA vaccines are much worse than what we were told. Several blockbuster developments in the last few days regarding this, all of them have been buried in the news due to the Russia-Ukraine war. A more accurate description of our corrupt corporate media would be that they're providing 24-7 coverage of Ukraine in order to avoid covering more important events like the avalanche of bad news regarding co-blank-19 and the experimental blanks that don't work. Start with the Daily Mail, which broke a story that will confirm all of your worst fears about it being a pandemic. Let's get into this. More evidence that COID was tinkered with in a lab. Now scientists find the virus chunks can contain tiny chunk of DNA that matches sequence patented by Moderna three years before it began. Furin cleavage site on spike protein matched genetic sequence patented by Moderna for cancer research purposes. Researchers say that there's a one in three trillion chance that this is developed in COVID naturally. Weird, right? So from the article, it says that the only coronavirus of its type to carry 12 unique letters that allow its spike protein to be activated by a common enzyme called furin, allowing it to spread between human cells with ease. Analysis of the original genome found the virus shares a sequence of 19 specific letters with a genetic section owned by Moderna, which has a total of 3,300 nucleotides. There's that 33 again. 
the U.S.-based pharmaceutical firm filed the patent in February 2016 as a part of its cancer research division. The patented sequence is a part of a gene called MSH3 that is known to affect how damaged cells repair themselves in the body. It says, don't can be a conspiracy theorist and start thinking that this informo- information proves that it's a lab-made bioweapon. After all, researchers assure us that there's a 1 in 3 trillion chance that it developed naturally. So there's still a possibility. So there's still a chance, you're telling me, right? This story followed the news that the CDC is withholding data from the public. Why would the CDC want to do that? Perhaps because, as the reporter Alex Berenson noted, after reviewing a New York State database, the blanks raise the risk of your children getting the thing. It raises the risk. Let's, let's review this. Six weeks after becoming fully blanked, Kids under 12 are 40% more likely to be infected than those who never received the blank. The mRNA blanks provide some protection for the first two weeks of full blanks, but it declines rapidly, turns negative by the fifth week, and more sharply negative on the sixth. Negative efficacy means that the people are more likely to become infected. It's not clear how high the risk may be become for young children since the database only covered six weeks and the trend worsened each week. Hmm. In case you wanted to share this news with other concerned parents that the the blanks should not be given to your kids, I've got some bad news. Your cell phone will block you from texting this information if you're a T-Mobile customer. That's right. Our cell phone companies now want to decide what we can send to other people. T-Mobile is blocking some of its customers, including this reporter, from texting a link to an article featuring Robert Malone, the pioneer who invented the mRNA technology, who is critical of these mRNA technologies, claims he almost died from Moderna's second dose. This reporter, a T-Mobile customer, texted the WND article to another T-Mobile customer and a Verizon customer to test this claim. Neither received the text with the article link, but they did get text with the WND homepage showing the domain itself is not blocked. T-Mobile denies that it's blocking anyone or anything, but who believes them? Finally, if all this news is bad enough, it's nothing compared to the nightmare scenario in which the Pfizer blank can actually reverse transcribe itself into your DNA. Okay, we got a a tweet from a PhD, Brian Adams. It says, whoops, turns out that the RNA from Pfizer is rapidly reverse transcribed into DNA as fast as six hours, but don't worry, it's in vitro. I'm sure in vivo, they must have studied it and everything's just fine, right? And it's attached a molecular biology paper titled Intracellular Reverse Transcription of Pfizer BioNTech COVID-19 mRNA blank BNT162B2 in vitro in human liver cell line. Hmm. She goes on to say, I'm old enough to remember when I warned people on Twitter in 2020, no less, that mRNA blanks were to be avoided because they could alter your DNA. And I was branded a conspiracy theorist of it. Welcome to 2022. All of the conspiracy theories are coming true. Well, not just that. If you guys want to see some really crazy shit, go over to Nino's Corner. He's got his own website in which he does interviews. He interviews all kinds of people with all kinds of interesting intel. Well, he had a um, an embalmer on recently, and this embalmer, while he's embalming these patients, he's pulling out these long tubes attached to blood clots, and I'm telling you, this shit's weird. What are these things? What's in these people's 
veins and arteries. Go check that out if you're brave enough. And like I said, send me your mail. Fringe with benefits at protonmail.com. Connor started whining as soon as I. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Connor wants to be heard too, man. Yes, yes, always. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, ba- welcome back to Fringe with Benefits. This week we have Billy Flat with us today, and she is actually an old friend of mine from the Lewis and Clark Valley. She did my hair for some time. I met her, um, you know, hanging out in the local music scene. She's a really extraordinary and unique person, and I really wanted to get her on the show to talk about her background, her professional career, and all of the volunteer work that she's been doing, because I think it's really, really freaking important, and, and then to get her take on some current events, events and some of the more fringe topics that we like to discuss here on the show. So first, if you could introduce yourself to everybody and maybe give us, you know, a background of what you do and how you're known and maybe, um, you know, start with the time you spent um, as, uh, I don't even know what you would call it, an, uh, an equestrian, you know, working with horses ever since you were a kid and kind of where you are now and what happened and kind of what got you into not only what you do for a living, but your work with animals. Okay. Uh, I'm Billy. Um Man, that's a long... I know. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) That's okay. Um, I live in the Lewis-Clark Valley, and um, I am a salon owner and have been for about 15 years. Uh, I was always interested in in art and uh, that kind of thing, but also, you know, you have to have an income. So uh, I needed to find something that was consistent and that I would enjoy. So um, with the encouragement of my dear friend, Jesse Tarlow, uh, I uh, I made my appointment to go start at beauty school while I was sitting in her chair getting a haircut. So uh, that was kind of a funny way to, you know, ultimately do what I've enjoyed doing for so long. Um, I did, uh, when I was a kid, uh, my second word was horse. So I've had a deep obsession with horses and animals in general. Dogs and horses have been a big part of my life. Um, I, I rode reining horses, uh, cutting horses, hunter jumpers. Um, I, my personal horses were, um, I, preferred to write English. So I did a lot of that, some dressage and things. There just isn't a lot of uh, outlet to do those events around here. So um, you kind of get trapped into doing Western events, which is fine. I enjoyed that too. Um, I did a lot of barrel racing. That was my jam when I was a kid. So, uh, and then someone uh, I wish I could remember who it was exactly, but uh, I got put on a Western pleasure horse and, it was show horses all the way from that point on. Basically, I I really enjoyed the, um, you know, barrel racing is very technical too. But when the 
the relationship of going slow and having control and uh, all that is pretty amazing. So um, I did go that way for several years. And then uh, a week out of high school, uh, I was in a riding accident on a horse that I was going places with. I'd, um, I'd been working with him. He was a, a stud horse that was owned by uh, Lee Earl. And uh, Lee was a very well-known and respected breeder around our area here and um, in the quarter horse world. And uh, a jet boat came screaming down the river and I I bucked and, or excuse me, I, I bailed and he blew at the same time. And I ended up uh, breaking my leg. Um, it was a tibia, fibia break uh, right above my ankle, Jeez. which um, got pretty nasty pretty quickly um, with arthritis and things. There's mm-hmm. uh, lots of hardware in there. So uh, it was pretty painful. It still is very painful. I deal with it, you know, all the time. Um, but I, I could not not ride. It was just, mm-hmm. that was just part of it's in my DNA or something, you know, it's, it's, I think that people that are obsessed with a particular animal in a, in a certain way, that way um, anyone can relate to that, whether it's dogs or cats or cattle, whatever it be. um, It's a passion and it's, um, it's a, it teaches you so many life lessons and, that you're not in control all the time and and how to, uh, how to keep your mind calm and deal with situations as they come, because hardly anything goes the way that you expect it to when you're dealing with animals. It just isn't, you know, that's just the nature of the beast as they say. So, um, yeah, that, uh, that injury really sidelined me. Um, I was, uh, it was a half day surgery and, um, in the hospital for a couple, three days. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, recovered from that as well as I could. And, uh, I continued to ride, um, and realized quickly that the level of competition where I was, was no longer where I was going to be and had to switch some gears and make some life adjustments and, um, adapt to my new situation, you know? Um, and I think that's, that's so important is, is learning to adapt to whatever your situation is and being willing to adapt to your situations, you know, and, um, taking advantage of those good situations when they come along and, Mm -hmm. and just figuring out the bad ones when they come along. Totally. I think you've um, exhibited like hardcore resilience and you have like, you're the epitome of the adapt or die scenario. And, and, and you're, I think maybe what you learned while you were working with horses taught you how to deal with this like epic defeat, like what a horrible feeling. Cause you had your, um, your future planned out with what you were doing. Absolutely. And then, you know, to have that, you know, like David Ike, I'm a big follower of David Ike. He had a, a full football career ahead of him and he ended up with uh, rheumatoid arthritis so bad that it was crippling him and he continued to to play and he tried mm-hmm. and he tried to push through, but it just, 
it wasn't going to work. So it was kind of like life gave you like a little treat and a little taste, but then it was like, er, nope, you're going to go this way instead. Right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I say, you know, when I talk about how I had to switch gears and uh, share that with people, um, it, it does make you reassess what you want to do with your life. And um, I, I've been very, very lucky that not only was I good with horses and animals and lucky that way, I'm good at a lot of things, you know, there's, I, and I, I feel lucky about that, you know, and I'm good at things that um, would be beneficial if things went sideways, you know, and I think a lot of, um, a lot of what you know as a person has a lot to do with where you're, where and how you're raised. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad wasn't a huge outdoorsman, but he was a manly man, you know, he, he hunted a, a bit and fished a bit. Um, my mom, uh, she loves fishing. That's just in our blood um, on the Jolly Moore side. Uh, but I feel confident that if some terrible thing happened, the grid goes down, we don't have, you know, those types of immediate resources that we're so comfortable with now. Mm-hmm. I fully feel like I would be okay because I know how to sustain myself and grow things and handle animals and, um, I know how to feed animals and care for, you know, and it's, and I know how to feed and care for people too. And that's, that's important. Absolutely. That's very important. Um, and I find a lot of joy in, in growing things and feeding people and um, caring for my tribe, my, my people, but I'm caring for humanity, you know, yeah. I mean, as a, as a general rule, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not a religious person at all, but you treat people how you want to and expect right. to be treated. Right. So, uh, yeah. I think uh, right now is a good time to kind of talk about how I was received by Billy and her friends. I used to, I liked the punk rock shows. I liked the metal shows and I didn't really, most of the time didn't have anybody to go with me. And so I would show up and she was always that one constant. You would see her there. You can't miss her. She's tattooed like all over the place and she's got you know incredible hair you got your sporting dreads right now but always just looked just fucking cool as hell and I was always treated so well by you and all of your friends and I felt like you know that I was accepted and that I was just treated good and it wasn't always that way there was places in which I tried to kind of adapt and blend in but people would snub me and would treat me poorly, but Billy and, and her group of people, her tribe never did that to me. And I was always treated really, really well. So I want to extend my gratitude for that. Thank you so much. And you are kind of a, a pinnacle and an inspiration for a lot of, not just women, but men in your area, as well as the surrounding areas, like people know who you are and what you do and what you represent. And you are a huge inspiration for people. A lot of people look up to you and they would look to you if there was an emergency because you have that leadership quality and you would probably make sure that more people were okay than, you know, the average person wouldn't be able to do what you can do. So you're sure as hell right about that. Well, thank you. That's, yeah. I, that's a, 
uh, I, I pride myself on that, you know, I mean, it's always nice to hear those things, you know, and, and see that other people recognize, you know, I don't, I don't do anything that I do because I think people will think it's cool. I do what I do and I say what I say because I feel that it's the right thing. Um, and that's, um, that's important. You know, I mean, we need to, we need to break out of, um, cycles of not saying when we feel something is wrong. And I understand other people's personality types aren't mine. You know, not everyone has that, that, um, type of personality. Um, but tell me, (laughs) you know, I mean, tell me and we'll figure it out. So, um, that I, but yeah, I do. Um, it's nice to be recognized for those things. I mean, I'm, I, I do like being recognized for those things and I, I feel like I've noticed, especially when I started with, um, the Mastiff Rescue, um, rescuing Connie Corsos and just, uh, working with Helping Hands Rescue, our, our big, one of our big local rescues here in the Valley. Um, I did notice my peer group also sharing those posts when I would share that there was, you know, a, a dog or an animal that needed help, um, there's, it, it's nice to have that, that support, you know, I mean, that's important people, not everybody can foster or adopt or, you know, has the money to donate or what mm-hmm. have you, but all you need to do is sometimes share, hit, hit that share button. And right. I've, I've seen that come to fruition a multitude of times and not had much to do with it other than hitting the share button. So um, that's a pretty simple thing to do um, to help someone that can't help themselves, you know? Totally, totally. And that was another reason why I absolutely loved you because you are an animal activist. You are an advocate for little people. I, I consider them people that they can't advocate for themselves. And so she does run or is a big part of a Cane Corso is that how Correct. you, I Italian dog. Yep. So Italian I looked master. it up. They're guardian dogs is what that yeah. means, I believe. And they're badass. Yeah. And if you see her rolling around with her, her beasts, they are literally beasts. And she's done so much good work. Not only that, but she mentioned helping hands. She's raised money for them to um, help keep their shelters going, help keep those animals fed. And then she's also incorporated the local music scene everywhere from the Valley to Spokane to the coast, I believe, um, raising money using the concert venues and the people that frequent, you know, the music scene. And I think that's really important. Um, of course, we all know why the animal activism is important, but why do you think it's so important for a community to have a healthy music scene? Oh, man. Uh, so many reasons mm-hmm. um because that's where it all starts you know i mean everyone's favorite band that whether it's on a streaming service or the radio or whatever it is they started at a very local level they started out as a local band they people had to go to their shows locally and tell their friends so their friends would listen or follow or, you know, um, it it is incredibly difficult 
to put shows together. Mm-hmm. And I, I really wish the low, you know, the general public would understand or could understand, you know, what goes into, and it's not for them to know that's, that's our, that's our part of doing it. That's the work of it. But, um, coordinating dates, uh, lining up support bands, trying to find a venue, trying to find a venue post COVID, um, trying to work with venues that require vaccination. Mm -hmm. And, um, there's a lot to navigate and there always has been, but now there's even more obviously, which, um, and there's, um, there's just so much that goes into making a show happen for 40 people or less sometimes, you know, to show up. I, it, it's very frustrating. Um, it's frustrating when people don't buy their tickets until last minute. Yeah. Um, that's always, um, that's always a huge issue. Um, just, you know, that's a, I, it's just been a hard thing to be involved in. You do it because you love it and you do it because you want to do it. And, um, because it needs to be done. I mean, it's, it's art, it's, um, it's magic, you know, I mean, think about how special it is when someone can play one instrument themselves or they are uh, a talented vocalist. uh, And then, you put three or four or five or six people together and then, and when, then they come all together and that's magic, man. Like that's yeah. fucking magic. It is. Uh, and it doesn't matter if it's metal. It doesn't matter if it's country. It doesn't matter. That is magical when you can, when people can make that happen. It's um, I think it's part of our DNA to yeah. make music and enjoy music and, uh, relate to that and be drawn to it. Um, but yeah, as far as the local music scene goes, um, there are venues that are, are trying very hard, uh, for us and, um, are welcoming us with open arms. So, uh, we're lucky to have, um, some really good, uh, venue owners around here that support underage shows and, um, you know, that kind of thing, <clears throat> because it should be for everyone. It's, it's unfortunate that so many places it's, you know, the, the age yeah. limits and probably liability but, issues and serving alcohol. Yeah. 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 For sure. But it makes a real big disconnect there. You know, I mean that, that really, it cuts into things, but we make it work. It's been like that for a long time. So Awesome. Yeah. I think it's like so important for a community to have some place to go. And it's kind of like a communing on on more of a spiritual level. It's, it is, like you said, it's magical. Um, Right. I've never experienced anything like it um, when you're in a crowd of people listening to music. I I wouldn't even know what it would be like to perform, but I could imagine that it's pretty surreal and pretty fantastic. And there's nothing that replaces that feeling of just being in sync with everybody in the room, you know? Right. When everyone's there for the same, same good reason, everybody's energy is up. Everybody's, you know, that's what, that's what I love about it. That's what gets me, you know, I mean, every time. Totally. Totally. That, That exchange of good energy. 
Um, well, speaking of good energy, uh, you have this trademark going. It's the Hussy brand logo. And I was yes. kind of there, like, because this thing started on Facebook. You were calling out some bitch for um, overbreeding a mare and um, yeah. treating it, this horse like shit. And she, yep. you call her out, and this lady, like, totally slammed you with how you look, and she ended up calling you a Hussy. So you took this opportunity to create the Hussy logo. And yes. you've been making um, stickers. I know for sure stickers, but I don't know if you're going to come out with other merch. That would be great. Yeah, maybe it's coming. Tell everybody kind of the who, what, when, and where of like what happened. And I, I guess I already did, but maybe maybe give us like Billy's version of how this came to be and you know what was going on in your mind. Sure. Uh, so, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, just just a small edit. Uh, it was um, a veterinarian in Kentucky who he foals out a lot of um, the foals for the racehorse farms for the thoroughbred farms uh, in in the Lexington area, and I'd been following him um, on Facebook for a couple of two three years, and mm-hmm. he'd always he always posts he posts the good the bad and the ugly, you know. I mean, and that's what I appreciated about him. Um, but uh, he posted this mare, a picture of this mare and this foal. The mare looked poor and the foal was fine. But you could see this was in a you know multi-million dollar facility. This was not some backyard deal. Um, and uh, I was wondering why that mare looked so poor, you know, why she was in such poor condition. And... Uh, so I kind of breezed through the comments and I noticed that a couple other people had said, well, that doesn't, what, that doesn't seem, you know, she doesn't look well. And so, and the other part of it was the foal had been delivered cesarean and the mare that the picture was taken with, uh, she was a nurse mare. So um, apparently the mare that this baby, this foal was out of, uh, had broken her pelvis in delivery the first time that she'd been bred. And instead of not breeding her anymore, Mm -hmm. they continued to breed her. And in the thoroughbred world, uh, there is no artificial insemination. There's no ship semen. There's nothing like that. It's live coverage only. Uh, that's what the jockey club requires. Uh, so that mare had delivered that first foal with the broken pelvis. Mm-hmm. And then the next year they bred her back, meaning that she had a stallion live cover her mm-hmm. um, after she'd had a broken pelvis. And for four years, that process continued to happen. So I just said, that poor mare, why would they continue to breed her? Right. And man, it, he lit into me and I don't tolerate people talking poorly about my clients and this, wow. that, and the other. And that's fine. Okay, that's fine. I didn't say anything. I didn't blame him. I wasn't being, you know uber disrespectful or anything uh so this went on for weeks you know I mean it went on for a good solid three weeks nonstop. um wow. 
the it was uh about a week or so into it um when this barbara gal that uh called me a uh said that that redheaded hussy wouldn't know this that and the other you know i mean they, people don't know what you know right they don't know what you know they don't know what you don't know mm-hmm. that's what gets me you know uh so um she called me a, a hussy and you know the next week it was hussy this hussy that everybody was calling me a hussy so it was really it was it was pretty funny you know I mean and it was really funny how that blew up I, I was like you know, and of course I went on my personal page and I was like, what do you guys think about this? And, right. and that went crazy. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, like you, like you'd said, uh, uh, my friend Jamie Laws had a design. She's a brilliant, talented artist here in our area. Uh, she had a design um, that was the heart, but it said bossy and she changed it to hussy. And we had... I don't remember how many stickers we had, you know, designed up, made up. And uh, I'm pretty sure that we raised over a thousand dollars in Hussey stickers that first go. And we donated that all, of course, to Helping Hands Rescue since the whole thing was over an animal to begin with. So, yeah, uh, yeah, I, you know, you have to just turn things around sometimes and, and, find the good and what you can and um, make that work to your benefit, which I think we did, you know? And I mean, I, I wouldn't have said anything unless I felt like I was right. You know, I mean, on what planet is that right? You know, I mean, I just can't. And the reason it continued to happen with that, the reason they continued to breed that mare is because she was so valuable, Mm -hmm. had nothing to do with that. Oh, she was a good horse. She was worth, probably millions of dollars right so it was her blood that they wanted not her and that infuriates me to my core right um so yeah that's um and then that took off like wildfire the um the hussy thing so uh we just did a run a short run of um coffee mugs and those sold out i just got the next batch in the mail today so uh those will be uh, made up and available here pretty soon. Um, we're planning on doing hoodies and um, awesome. just expanding it into a lifestyle brand. And we'll, of course, every every purchase, there'll be a percentage donated to Helping Hands Rescue. I love that. So make yeah. sure I get, if you have any links or, you know, posts or anything, I can attach it to the show notes. So no, everybody sure. knows where to get that. Yeah. Um, so we are okay. just getting going. So there's, you know, we're, um, there's not a lot of, not a ton of inventory, but as soon as right. things come ready, we put it out there. So, um, yeah, wherever on those links, we'll be able to find things. That's awesome. That's incredible. And you know what? It's like you saw the unethical behavior of this vet who's supposed to be, you know, somebody who's pretty prestigious and you called him out. And that's probably why he got so defensive was because he knew what he was doing was wrong. Right. Exactly. So good on you for even saying something, because most people would just keep their mouth shut and 
and then who, who's going to advocate for this poor horse and, or the other right. ones that he's probably mistreating for thousands exactly of dollars. Right. Yeah. Well, and it got so crazy. You remember that one guy, um, you and I were going back and forth and he threatened to put us in a dumpster. I mean, oh, I, can yeah. really, I can read between those lines, you know, I mean, it got insane. It got insane, you know, I mean, and whatever. Yeah. The <laughs> point of come on over, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he you literally told us he was going to kill us and, and dispose of us in a dumpster. So that's real nice, you know? Right, right. Great friends you got there, Doc. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he probably knows some people that would actually do that. I wouldn't put it past him. Well, same. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <sighs> so I think that's badass. And I, I'll never forget that ever. So I think that the Hussy brand is like right on. Um yeah, I guess uh, next. Well, since you were in show promotion and like making things put together um, last fall, the Travis Scott show, this is our, you know, what do you think about that? Like, what what's your input? I'm sure you saw the huge tragedy of all those kids that were trampled. Um, they had no emergency personnel that knew how to do CPR properly. And it was just a huge fucking mess, probably all for the sake of money, general admission show, not, you know, t- admitting too many people. Right. Did you, did you have any feelings over what went down there or anything they could have done better or, you know, what well, were your thoughts? you know, I kind of had a, a, a firsthand experience, not anything even remotely close to that, but, uh, this last September, uh, I went to Iowa um, where I, my friends uh, Seth and Jayla live and uh, Seth is um, a guitarist for the band Widow 7 uh, and they opened for uh, Knotfest. Mm-hmm. And so I traveled over there to do that event with them and the promotion company um, had anticipated 20 thousand people that day and 30,000 people ended up arriving. Wow. And, um, it was, it, the venue itself was in, um, it was in like a, a hot air balloon society property. So there's plenty of room for people. Um, but they ran out of water. Wow. There was not enough water for people and people were obviously, intoxicated and you know people just they don't eat and they don't drink enough water and uh that was that was a big deal it was actually ended up being on the um Des Moines Iowa news about how there wasn't enough water and um a few weeks prior there was another show um by I believe it was a different promotion company but um they didn't have adequate port porta potties at their venue and um so those two things are pretty hugely important you know um and then everybody that performs at these big festival type events they get thrown under the bus too like they had something to do with it yeah and that is not the case at all they don't have anything to do with it it's mm-hmm. completely the band managers, the stage managers, they don't have anything to do with it. That's the the promotion company, you know, that's a completely separate entity that is 
contracted and all all the artists and support staff can do is hope for the best that because they have no idea where they're going I mean or what they're getting into so um you do have to you know adapt to that kind of stuff too for sure well that opens up like a whole new can of worms because of course you know the performers in the um, event that I was talking about they were totally blamed and of course he's dealing with the lawsuits I don't know really what's going on as of late but you know he had to answer for that and and I don't know if the promotion company had to I'm pretty sure that I heard a couple of things but they pretty much get to slink off into the darkness after several kids have passed away because of this and I've been in several shows where you know you're being crushed and you can't breathe and it there's nothing you can do you just have to kind of go with it and just keep yourself freaking calm and hope for the best right yeah (laughs) and it depends on the show it depends on the show too you know I mean not I think as far as I'm aware and concerned and have experienced metal community people look out for one another when you fall down you get picked up and a bunch of dudes stand around you until you're back up and on your feet and if you're hurt you get packed out by a couple dudes you don't know and that's Mm -hmm. how it's supposed to be you know um at other other types of um performances I don't know that that is I don't know that there is that camaraderie there you know I've I've been in a, a few different events where I definitely feel like a herd of teenagers would have gladly run me over to get to the spot I was in. Yeah. Um, or, you know, um, I was at a show uh, at a Deftone show in Seattle and just like what you're saying, just, you know, you get panicky because mm-hmm. you literally cannot breathe. Right. Um, and I'm not a small girl, you know, I mean, I can defend myself and push my way out of, you know, whatever situation I'm in, but not everyone is capable in that way. And that's dangerous and unfair. I mean, that's, right. I mean, fair, unfair, whatever, whatever that means, but it's not, it's not cool. It's dangerous. Right. If yeah. it, if, you know, at, at minimum. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I guess there's a, like a ton of current events that we can go over, but let's try to skate over that. Um, <laughs> Cause we all know <laughs> shit's crazy right now. Right. 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 All we can do is pretty much like roll our eyes and just, you know, mind our business. Is all we can do. Yeah. Yep. Stay um, safe in your room. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay. So on fringe with benefits, I like to talk about paranormal and conspiracies and Bigfoot and Mm-hmm. all kinds of crazy shit like that. Um, have you experienced anything supernatural, UFOs, uh, ghosts? Is, are there any experiences that, you know, stick right out in your mind that you might want to share? The short answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> several. It seems like several. Um, I, uh, <clears throat> I remember like when I was a kid, uh, I would be sitting on the edge of my bed and being able to see the impression of handprints, but no, you know, nothing there, but I would be able to, like someone was sitting next to me. Wow. Um, and that was, I was, you know, probably five, six, seven, somewhere in there. Um, and it didn't ever scare me. It never really freaked me out. Um, the only thing I've ever been afraid of is people other humans, you know, um, 
my when my mom and dad were married, uh, my dad did he was a long haul truck driver, and someone broke into our house when I was about five, six, somewhere in there, and it it fucked me up, man. Like wow. it it stuck with me, and it basements they broke into our basement, and basements to this day still wow. I have a thing, you know, it just fucked me up. Yeah, but um. Yeah, uh, I'm trying to think what else, um, as far as, I've always just felt like, well, I had the salon uh, downtown Lewiston that was uh, an old brothel, Mm -hmm. and every day when I was at work, I swear I could hear, um, like, skeleton keys on a ring, like, every day, and I'd look down the hall, nothing. And look down the hall, nothing, you know, like, of course, never, I never, I never did see anything, but definitely got the EBGBs more than once and definitely hurried down that flight of stairs to get the hell out of there. Oh, when it was shit. Late. We're working late. Yeah. yeah. It just, you know, I, I can, I just feel like I pick up on energy, mm-hmm. um, but I'm open to it. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't scare me. It doesn't freak me out. It doesn't, um, I feel like I can, I feel like I not necessarily psychic. I'm not saying I'm a psychic. <laughs> like, sensitive. Uh, Maybe you're sensitive. Definitely. And things that will happen way in advance. I'll be like, Oh, that's going to happen. Oh, you God. know, just for no, I, there's, there's no reason for me to even think those two things should go together and then that actually will happen or, you know, wow. um, I've always been real lucky. Uh, I don't speed. I drive like a grandma, but I will know when there's a cop car coming or around. Um, yeah, just different things like that. Um, I, I, I hike and, uh, you know, go take my dogs out in the, wilderness a lot because they can't be around you know other people or dogs is mm-hmm. not necessarily safe with them um so I'm always dragging home shit I don't know what the hell I'm bringing home sometimes and I I brought home this big piece of basalt that was really out of place and lugged it home and shortly after I brought it home my female was sitting in the corner of my kitchen with her ears pinned back and down, looking up in the corner of my kitchen. And like that dog was seeing something and it went on for several minutes. So I'm looking at what she's looking at. I'm looking, you know, just back kind of doing the back and forth. And I, I have no idea what she was looking at, but that happened um, two or three different times. Um, and then it never, then she never ever has postured like that. She's never wow. done that same behavior ever again. Um, so I don't know if she saw something. Um, I've had knocking here um, a few different times. Um, and it's always three knocks, three definite where, and it's happened where other people have been here and heard it and, you know, I mean, yeah. sound does carry, but you know the difference when, especially when two people hear the exact same thing coming from uh, the same place. Um, I uh, I feel like 
I mean, I've never experienced anything negative or scary or mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, something that I was extremely uncomfortable with. I have, especially when I'm out by myself with the dogs, like if I feel something, I pay attention to that. I don't, if the hairs on the back of my neck stand up, I pay attention to that. And yeah, I, I really watch my dogs. I yeah. really watch their behavior and what they're doing. Um, we're just stupid humans. They're, they know what's going on far more than we ever will, you know? So um, I definitely just pay attention to their body language and, and what they're doing and what they're trying to tell me. So, but um, I've even been in, in areas where it's not like I think there was a cougar watching me or anything, but like, whoo, it'll give you the, just the heebie-jeebies, you know? Yeah. Um, but we have a lot of, we have a lot of um, Nez Perce history, Native American history around here. Uh, and I, I very much respect that. And and I believe that sometimes that's what it is, you know, I mean, yeah. there's, there's, there's different types of magic all around us, you know, so um, just being open to that kind of thing and not being afraid of it, I think, um, ha- helps you have those experiences. Um, and, yeah, you know, just being, being okay with being okay with them when they do happen and wondering about, you know, yeah what that might be yeah uh well first okay so the basalt do you still have that piece of basalt I do I do yep it's outside um and I haven't had a bit of trouble with her since but (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh I don't know I don't know if it was that I don't know it was just really sense yeah yeah Yeah. that's the only thing that changed is that you brought and you obviously felt some sort of significance picking it up that it was out of place and yeah it was totally out of place it was actually uh right down the creek bed from where I found that uh bighorn sheep that was so far in the ground there um that ended up being um either an ibex or bighorn sheep uh that fell victim to the Missoula flood. Wow. Um, it was about 30 to 40 feet down in that embankment, right at the, uh, right above the waterline, only about a foot above the waterline. And um, I, I'd found its skull. That's what had, you know, just barely had come out of the erosion of that hillside. Wow. So uh, yeah, I, you know, contacted people at WSU and then they put me in contact with the right people and we were able to finally uh, figure out what it was. So that was, that was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Pretty disappointing. Uh, It ended up getting stolen out of, out of there. Yeah. Um, Very disappointing. I had intended on uh, donating it to the Burke Museum of Natural Mm -hmm. History in uh, Seattle um so we could all learn from it but instead some jackass has it in their garage in a box and no one gets to appreciate it that's such bullshit it really is it really is um that was very disappointing but what a what a what a find man what a find that was that was pretty incredible to experience and not have any idea what i'd found you know yeah i mean 
it would have been unlikely, but I really thought that I'd found a juvenile mammoth is what mm -hmm. I thought it was. Um, but it took, it took a lot of diligent work to get through to the right people and yeah. um, figure that out. And I was obsessed, you know, I was just, yeah. I knew that I'd found something very, very special. And the worst thing about whoever stole that, um, there are very few specimens of those species from that time because they lived at such high elevation that by the time, you know, between break, getting broken, et cetera, et cetera, um, mm -hmm. there's just nothing left. Um, they did find uh, a bighorn sheep skull in a cave um, in Arizona that dated to about that same time. Um, and it, it was out of place there, but it was in a cave. So it had been put there by humans. Mm -hmm. um, very interesting. Very, very interesting. All that, you know, when yeah. you really do the deep dive and when you're trying to figure out what you're holding in your hand. Um, but the bones that I was able to salvage out of there, um, they were very broken. So it definitely just got beat Crushed. to hell yeah. in that flood. Yeah. And you can see, you know, you can see the different, the striations of time in that, uh, that erosion bank where it was. Um, it was in some big, bulky, sharp edge stuff. So um, what a fascinating thing, though. I mean, that was that was incredible to find that. Yeah, that was a once in a lifetime. Like you should have played the lottery that day because that was right. <laughs> right. I agree. I agree. Um, another question about your experiences. So your salon downtown and the, the keys. Um, mm -hmm. So that part of Lewiston, the downtown area actually has tunnels underneath the sidewalks, right? Where the, right. they would have opium dens. The Chinese were down right. there. Um, yep. Were you ever able to tour the tunnels ever since living there? I, I had, I probably had the opportunity. I did not have the balls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's creepy down there. I know that I've been, I've been told, you know, about, I would, I would totally do it now. Uh -huh. I, you know, I mean, um, I know a lot of it's blocked off um, there, but it's amazing. It's like a whole under city. It'd be incredible to have access to some of that and yeah. see what's in there. But there's, I bet there's treasure in them, their hills, you know, <laughs> I bet there's some really interesting stuff in there. Um, yeah, that, do you know what that was for initially? Do you remember, do you know? I just what? heard that they, you know, Chi the Chinese, the railroad workers maybe um, had, they would smoke opium down there. And that's, that's all I heard. I have no idea what they were used for. I could probably find out, but I'm, I'm wondering okay. if they would let somebody come do like a, a paranormal investigation down there or something sometime. Yeah. Let's work on that. That'd be cool. I'd come there. I'd yeah, come back work. home for that for sure. Hell yeah. Let's work on that. Okay. That'd be fun. I do have a connection right. with the city. I should, I'll give him a call. He's the perfect, the County inspector or no, the city inspector. <laughs> I won't say his nice. name. <laughs> it's good to know some people, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. 
Um, also, the knocking three times is something that has happened to a lot of people. And when it comes in threes, there's significance there. It's the same really? thing of like you get scratched. If there's three scratches, they say that that, that has some sort of significance, which it might be more of a negative um, entity. So they say like six, 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 three. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> so maybe, I don't know, who knows, but that's yeah, interesting. interesting. Did that happen at your house or? It did. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. It's only happened here. Wild, wild. And yeah. then didn't mm -hmm. you say that you uh, saw some like uh, extraterrestrial type stuff? Yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, I was, um, oh, let me see. It was probably, I think it was two summers ago. And uh, I was, you know, late night. It was probably around midnight. And we'd been having really violent winds, wind and rainstorms here. And uh, the moon, there was enough light that you could see the difference between the dark storm clouds and the darkness of the night sky. And uh, I was, I was outside and I was just kind of looking at the trees. I got this craggy old tree in the backyard and like hoping this thing doesn't blow over into my house. And uh, I noticed this light up in the sky and I thought, oh, okay, airplane, you know, didn't, didn't think much about it. And I, when I looked back at it, it wasn't moving like an airplane at all. It was, um, it was moving quickly, but it, when I noticed what its behavior was, it seemed like it was um, trying to navigate the outer edge of that storm cloud. And it would, Weird. it would kind of, it would move in into that storm cloud and then be like, nope, that's weird. And then move back out. And then it would like 90 degree angles and there's nothing there is nothing like that. So I, and I see so much different stuff in the sky because I watch the sky a lot, you know, mm -hmm. and we do have a lot of sightings around this area. Uh, so I didn't even really think that I was seeing anything that was terribly out of the ordinary for the weird shit that I normally see in the sky, you know? So, but then it persisted. It just was it just kept doing all this weird shit. And the more I watched it, I was like, maybe I should get this on film. So I do have a short, you know, well, it's not short. It's, it's enough to see uh -huh. what it is, you know, and what it's doing. But yeah, I wish I would have had my shit together and would have recorded the whole thing because it was just, yeah, it was weird. bizarre. Yeah, yeah. And then it just went off. Yeah. Yeah. Very wild. Weird. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. a good one. Now you'll have yeah. to show me that video sometime. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Hey, well, where can we find you, Billy? Like if people want to follow you and see what you're up to and keep an eye and keep tabs on you, what's your, what's your handle? Where are you at? Uh, I'm at metal stylist on Instagram. I am not super active on Instagram. I apologize. Uh, but I do have um, some different, different, a lot of different hair pictures and things that I was doing when I was doing hair and um, some different, um, different posts from different tours and things. 
Um, my Facebook is Billy Flat Hussy. <laughs> <laughs> and that's uh, Billy with an I-E and flat with a, a two T's at the end, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Billy Flat Hussy. Okay, awesome. I'll link it in the show notes in case anybody Perfect. wants to come follow you. And I should have you back sometime. Yeah. And Let's do uh, it. Yeah, let's totally do that. So thank you so much for joining us and um, maybe we'll see you next time. Thank you for having me. Inward Survival School of Magic. We're going to talk about compassion. Now, don't be a wimp, all right? You know what? The fastest way to a good life is through love, compassion, and fellowship and doing things for other people. So we don't have to be totally gullible to have compassion for others. If we improve our individual selves, we will have a ripple effect upon the people around us and then eventually the world. And true magic is fellowship, compassion, and love. We do not have to tolerate bad behavior or allow people to crap all over us. We can be strong and loving at the same time. In fact, it takes bravery to love others. It takes true courage to allow ourselves to become, to be compassionate. First, for the greater good from Berkeley, um, this guy's talking about his research. They suggest that we can actually expand our compassion bandwidth without hurting ourselves. The science of compassion can develop and we can empirically support ways to cultivate and sustain compassion when it's needed the most. When you measure people's emotional experiences in real time rather than their predictions, a very different pattern emerges. Rather than feeling more compassion when people are suffering, people ironically feel less, a phenomenon that these people have found out. They're calling it the collapse of compassion. People will feel more compassion for one opposed to many, which is really, really surprising, right? Being faced with many victims, people feel less compassion than they would have if they just seen one. And that's when, you know, compassion is needed the most. It's, it's felt the least. The upshot of this research is that people can choose whether or not to feel compassion for mass suffering. This choice will depend upon whether people are motivated to avoid compassion or whether they have the skills to regulate their emotions. If we can get people past their fears of being overwhelmed and teach them strategies for staying with rather than avoiding compassion, then we can increase their compassion bandwidth. There are lots of short-term strategies for increasing compassion, and these strategies may be effective at changing motivations to avoid compassion. Increase the sense that helping will make a difference. Especially in situations where lots of people are suffering, we justify turning off compassion by saying that helping would just be a drop in the bucket. If helping organizations highlighted the impact of future donations, it could lead people to feel more compassion and act pro-socially. Also, streamline helping opportunities to make it seem less costly, and we can train our brains for compassion over the long term. These are mind training techniques better suited to increase people's ability rather than motivation to experience compassion. There are meditation traditions that can encourage people to cultivate compassion towards self, family, friends, enemies, and stranger. These techniques have been shown to increase positive emotions and social support, reduce negative distress at human suffering, and reduce people's fears of feeling compassion for others because there are a lot of people out there that think it's weak to um, allow yourself to feel compassion for others. And then, you know, sometimes the 
the problem out there just seems too great. Like, what am I going to do that's going to be able to help the situation? Case in point, picking up litter. You pick up that one fucking piece of litter, you're like, oh, it's barely anything. You know, you would just rather walk by it instead of picking up that piece of litter. Well, before you know it, there's so much goddamn litter. You know, just, you know, I could go on about litter for days. Next, we're um, going to visit Zen Habits. 25 ways to help a fellow human being today. We can strike back against selfishness and greed and help people out. Not next month, but today. Helping others can be inconvenient, but it has some advantages. So here are a few advantages. It makes you feel better about yourself. It connects you to other people, if not for a moment, but for life could could be. It improves the lives of others, at least for a little bit. It makes the world a better place, one little bit at a time. And if that kindness is passed on, it can multiply and multiply and grow and grow. So if you take a few minutes today to do a kind thing for somebody else, it could be something small or the start of something big, ask them to pay it forward and put a smile on someone's face. One, you could be friendly and smile at people. It will make them feel great if you, you know, if you meet eyes with somebody and you smile. It, I mean, that could totally make somebody's day. Um, two, you can call a charity to volunteer. You don't have to do it today. Look up the number and just keep it in the back of your mind. Make an appointment to do it next month. Volunteering is probably one of the most rewarding things that we can do. Three, donate something you don't use or a whole box of stuff. Drop it off at a charity, Salvation Army, whatever. Four, make a donation. Donate to charities online, your local community. Instead of buying yourself something, spend that money in a more positive way. Five, redirect gifts. Instead of giving, instead of having people give you a birthday or Christmas present, ask them to donate it to a charity. Six, stop to help. Next time you see someone in need, Stop and ask how you can help. Seven, teach. Take the time to teach someone a skill. Shoot, this could be teaching your grandma how to use email or how to work her phone or teaching your coworker something. Teaching your spouse how to clean the toilet. <laughs> they said that one don't count. <laughs> Number eight, comfort someone in grief. Offer a hug, a helping hand, a kind word. A listening ear. This can go a really long way. Nine, help people take action. If someone in grief seems to be lost and doesn't know what to do, help them do something. Help them make funeral arrangements. Make a doctor's appointment. Freaking holding somebody's hand while they do a simple task could mean the world to them. Ten, buy food for a homeless person. Probably don't offer cash because you don't know where it's going to be used for, but shoot, buy them a sandwich and be respectful and friendly. 11. Lend your ear. Someone who's sad or depressed or frustrated, someone just may need to vent. 12. Help someone on the edge. If someone's suicidal, urge them to get help. If they don't, call a hotline or a doctor yourself to get some advice. 13. Help someone get active. If someone in your life wants to get healthy, they might need someone to kind of help them out. Offer to go walking with them. Join a gym together. 14. Do a chore, something small or big, like cleaning up or washing a car or doing the dishes, whatever. I think that was 14. Now, 15. Give a massage. Massage can go a long way in helping somebody feel better. 16. Send a nice email. 
a quick note telling someone how much that you appreciate them, how proud you are of them, or saying thank you is really nice. 17. Show appreciation publicly. Praising someone on a blog, in front of coworkers, in front of family, or in a public way is a great way to make them feel better. 18. Donate food. Clean out your cupboard of canned goods, buy some groceries, donate them to a homeless shelter. 19. Just be there. When someone you know is in need, sometimes it's just good to be there, sit with them, help out. 20. Be patient. Sometimes people can have difficulty understanding things or learning how to do something. Learn to be patient with them. 21. Tutor a child. Sometimes parents can't afford to hire a tutor for their child. Maybe call a school and volunteer your tutoring services if you can. 22. Create a care package. Man, this could be anything that someone might need or enjoy. Soldiers overseas, first responders, firemen at the firehouse. Sometimes they're away from their families. Create a care package, something that that would make them feel good. 23. Lend your voice. Be an advocate for someone. Speak up for them. Sign up to go to a council meeting. Write letters. 24. Offer to babysit for someone. Sometimes parents need a break or, you know, they don't really get the chance to do anything very often. Call them and offer to babysit. 25. Love. Finding ways to express your love to others, whether it be your partner, child, or other family member, friend, coworker, or complete stranger, express your love. A hug, a kind word, spending time, showing kindness, being friendly, it all matters more than you know. And it takes a hell of a lot more strength than you realize. Stoic Thought of the Week goes to Thomas Aquinas, and he said, We must love them both, those whose opinions we share and those whose opinions we reject, for those have labored in the search for truth and both have helped us in finding it. The things that we love tell us what we are. And fear is such a powerful emotion for humans that when we allow it to take us over, it drives compassion right out of our hearts. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks for joining us.